to the perks of being a book lover a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends i'm carrie and i normally bring the practical busco vibe to this partnership but i'm feeling pretty like loosey-goosey yeah and i'm amy i tend to be upbeat and social and i i'll admit i'm overly enthusiastic but i'm the one who supplied the wine this week that's why carrie's feeling (laughs) loosey-goosey Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics such as... New titles on our TBR list. Stuff we've had to Google while reading. Film adaptations that we've seen. And bookish news. At the end of the show, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and, hopefully, a laugh or two along the way. So this week, we are talking about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, or AAPI, as it is referred to. And the month of May is AAPI Month, and this will air on May 30th, and we're getting it in right under the wire, Carrie. Yep. Yep. We're good at uh, cutting things close. (laughs) But we do definitely want to talk about all these great authors that we have read that fall into that category. And if you are doing a book challenge like I am, there is a square for AAPI and you may need some suggestions. Cool. Although I have some I have some issues with the what qualifies as AAPI, but we'll get to that of shortly. Of course you do. Of course issues, you do. Don't I? We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, what you got going on, Carrie? Well, I'm done with yes. school. So I was like, woohoo, I'm done. But then today my husband came upstairs and I was working because the thing is, I sort of have like four or five part-time jobs. Like I don't do one job 40 hours a week. I do like a lot of different jobs. And so the teaching part of my life for the, you know, is over until August. But some of the other things I do are still ongoing. And so my husband came upstairs and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working on this consulting stuff I do. And he's like, I thought you were taking a break. I'm like, well, you know, when you have this many jobs, your job is hard to take a break. It's hard to take a break. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, when I go on my trip this summer, that will be a break from everything. And really, it didn't interfere with me coming over here and watching a movie with you. It didn't interfere with me coming back over tonight (laughs) and recording this. So that's what's going on with me. I am done teaching for a while. Well, let's talk a little bit. We're recording this on Friday, May 26th, and we're heading into Memorial Day weekend, which marks the beginning of summer. What is your big travel plan for summer so i'm going to scotland that's right going to scotland in a couple Uh, weeks yeah we're like 30 days out yeah we're 30 days out and yeah we are excited and actually so i have already read haven't talked about them yet we'll save that for a summer episode but i've already read two books about scotland and i'm reading a third book as we speak which normally i don't do normally i do not go into any trips like reading in advance but Have I inspired you, Carrie? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what's happened. But that's what I've been doing. But you've got a trip that you actually booked flights for. Yesterday. So we have been hemming and hawing about our summer vacation for months now because we're at this point in our life where our kids are young adults and they don't necessarily have time off for summer vacations. We hope they do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they will. So I had booked someplace 
that was within driving distance. Nobody was very excited about it. Just just say it. Where were you going? We were going to Arkansas. We were going to go to Eureka Jeez, Springs, I'm really, I'm Arkansas. Really, I'm really surprised well, that nobody was biting at the bit to go to Arkansas. Well, we like destinations that are in the mountains. It is in the mountains. It's in the Ozark Mountains. We were going to go to Eureka Springs, which is this artsy little community, sort of like a smaller version of Asheville, North Carolina. I've always wanted to go there. It was the kind of vacation where you're just kind of chill, right? Yeah. You know, Um nobody was very excited about this vacation. And so I eventually canceled that booking because I'm like, well, I mean, if nobody's excited about it. Were you excited about it? I mean, (laughs) if you have to answer the question. I mean, I I was, (laughs) but maybe not for a week. You know what I mean? Like it might be a long week, Like a three day, four day. Yeah. Yeah. Or half a week. Like maybe not a full week. I don't know. I mean, I've never been there. I don't know. So We're I canceled that. We're going to mail from Eureka Springs. I know. I, I do want to visit Eureka Springs, just maybe not for a week. And it turns out only two out of the three of my kids can go. And that was like hit or miss. Like some weeks they say, oh, yes, I can go. And then other weeks are like, no, I'm taking summer school and I have a final that we, you know. So it kind of went back and forth, which made me scared to book anything. But finally, I was able to pin two out of the three of them down and we are going to go to Portland, Oregon, and then drive down the Oregon coast, which has been on my bucket list. And one of my children thinks that maybe eventually he might like to live in the Pacific Northwest. So this is sort of like a test run. A little, I like an exploratory kind of thing. So we've booked the flight, but <laughs> I have serious commitment issues about this. Like I have been saying for two weeks I was going to book the flight. I asked Chris, because there were some other places we were considering, I asked him, well, which place would you prefer? And he said, Portland. But I still hadn't booked it. Like, there was something which afraid is, to book it. This is, like, a, another difference with us. Because I'm like, let's do it. Like, I plan yeah. vacations so far in advance, it's ridiculous. And y'all, you're practically leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're practically leaving tomorrow. at the end of July. But, uh, yeah, I know. It's so weird. I mean, I don't normally wait this long. But it was because of the indecision yeah, yeah, of yeah. my kids and... You know, it's a lot of money to fly yeah. over there. And like, what if happens? And they're like, oh, I can't go anymore. I'd be like, you owe mama 800 bucks. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, I'm very excited about it. But you and I, in the summertime, uh-huh. have a tradition of going on a little... Is it a tradition? Can we call it a tradition? Uh, well, like, how many third years? Year. Okay, 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 third year I is a tradition. I, don't know. I didn't know what qualifies as a tradition. Like, how many years do you have to do something for it to be a tradition? I don't know. But I'm uh, saying it's a tradition because okay. this is the third year. Okay. Uh, where we go on a little getaway for a couple of days during the summer. And our destination this year... <laughs> It's so exciting. Well, it is. because It is. We're going to the Columbus Book Festival, which is in Columbus. July. It's in Columbus, Ohio, in July. But on our way to Columbus, we're going to stop in Dayton, Ohio, where apparently we have a hive of authors and guests that we have interviewed from there. Like, it's really astounding. There's like five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have lunch with them, which is very exciting. Yeah. We're going to stop there. I'm hoping that they are planning everything because I don't know anything about Dayton. And then we're going to go on up to Columbus. And there's another author who we have has been a former guest, Jess Montgomery, who's going to be at the Columbus Book Festival. And we're going to have coffee or lunch with her. And so it's going to be fun. The funny thing, though, is that when we were talking about this, 
uh, at some point you're like, aren't you excited about going to Columbus? I'm like, I'm really excited about going to Scotland. Like at this point, <laughs> like I cannot say that that Columbus is like, woo, you well, know, like my top focus right well, now. Well, you were going to Scotland first. See, yeah, I'm going on my vacation after yes, this. Yes, yes. So, so this for is, you, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. like comes before. And- Although, even if I was excited, I still, my general excitement is like, way lower than your general level of excitement i've already made a airbnb board that i've added you to so we can find i haven't a place. even looked at it yet i haven't even looked at it yet anyway too much going on all right but we did do something fun today we did we watched a book related movie. we did so i think i've mentioned before that about once a month, once every six weeks, I invite people from my book club over to do lunch and a movie, and I make lunch, and then we pick a movie to watch. A lot of times it's book-related or adaptations of books that we've read. Not always, but uh, this time we watched the 2022 version of Persuasion that stars Dakota Johnson, Henry Golding, uh cosmo jarvis who yeah we had never we just discovered today we just discovered and i will say that this movie got you know very mixed reviews it, you know it's based on the jane austen novel persuasion set during the regency period i really enjoyed it but i am not a jane austen purist like, it doesn't have to follow everything exactly. It was basically the same story, but it sort of updated it for a modern audience. Even- it was still set. You know, the yeah. costumes were the same. But so Dakota Johnson as Anne, Anne broke Elliot. the fourth wall. Yes, so which she, I love. I love She that. broke the fourth wall. And so I'm not a purist. About, I don't know that I'm a purist about anything, honestly. I, I don't think I am. I I enjoyed it. Uh, and, and everybody who watched it enjoyed yeah. it. You know, it's a it's a period film. So if you love all the costuming and everything of a period movie, you've got that. Beautiful setting. Yeah, which you actually looked up. And yeah. it was filmed Dorset. like on the coast of England mm-hmm. in Dorset. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would recommend it. If you're not a hardcore Jane Austen, it must be exactly like the book. Because there were definitely some dialogue that I am sure was not in Jane Austen. Yeah. It was a little bit updated for modern audiences. But the basic idea and the basic story was the same. still there. And, you know, so apparently I have read Persuasion. I need to see what year I read it. Because, let's see, when did I read this? Uh, it doesn't have a date of when I read it. I read it. I gave it four stars. I have zero recollection of this story. <laughs> None it whatsoever. Might be, now, I have not read all of Jane Austen's. I've read maybe two or three of her novels, and I like this one a lot. Although I believe that this one was published after her death. I think it was maybe published posthumously. But I really enjoyed Emma as well. Uh, I read Northanger Abbey. I did not love that one. That one was not That's my like, Have you read favorite. Pride and Prejudice too? I'm not. Well, I don't think I've read Pride and Prejudice. If I did, it was in college, and I don't remember it. Oh, okay. Okay. Or Sense and Sensibility. Okay. Yeah. All right, Are you so, watching anything else, Carrie? Uh-huh. Still watching The Last of Us. Still watching Ted Lasso. I haven't started third season of Ted Lasso. Are you enjoying it as much as yeah. the first two? Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. Now, I have heard some people, you know, like I've read some things like, Ted Lasso, it's different this season. I'm like, 
And I mean, again, I'm not a purist. I'm not like Ted Lasso has to be an exact replication of what the first season was. (laughs) There have been some really funny parts to this season. So we're still enjoying it. But again, I don't have any Ted Lasso expectations of what Ted Lasso should and shouldn't. Like some people are like, I don't like all these side stories, you know, like with these other characters. But I kind of feel like, well, it's sort of interesting to learn a little bit more of the backstory of some of these other characters. So I'm fine with it. Well, one that we watched in May, it's this mockumentary Mm -hmm. called Jury Duty. It's on Amazon. A friend of ours told us about it. Basically, it is about a group of people serving for jury duty. All of the people that the judge, the lawyers, all the other people in the jury are all actors, except for one guy. And he thinks that he's in a documentary about serving in jury duty. He does not know that everybody else are actors. When I've been telling people about it, they're like, well, are they like making fun of him? Because they're thinking it's like a candid camera. Mm -hmm. But they really don't. He ends up being the hero of this story. It's everybody else who makes fools of themselves. But it starts out, you know, kind of tame. Some kind of weird things happen. But like each episode, like crazier and crazier stuff begins to happen. And it's just, it's 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 pretty interesting. It's pretty good. Hmm. And there's one juror who's actually an actor named James Marsden, who plays himself. As he a- was an enchanted, wasn't he? You remember that with... Um- How will I know he loves me? Yep, that's what it was. Enchanted 2007. Amy Adams. That was her name. I don't know. I know he was in that. I know he's in been in one of the X-Men. He was in that. Yes, he is. He's Cyclops in the Yes. Yeah. But he mean he's a kind of a well-known actor. And so he plays himself as an actor in Los Angeles who gets called to jury duty. And he plays himself, but hopefully a jerkier version of him. Hopefully he's not that much of a jerk in real life. Anyway, I would recommend it. We have we watched it, enjoyed it. We've recommended it to other people. So maybe give that one a try. Again, that's Jury Duty on Amazon. So back to books. This is a book podcast, mm-hmm. Carrie. So what are you reading right now? So I purchased the book, The Girls of Fall by Jessica Minyard at the 2022 Louisville Book Festival. And I bought it. Because of the first line of the book. It did have a pretty awesome first line. So this is the first line. Father Adrian was a sex god, the Adonis of holy men. (laughs) It's a hot priest kind of thing going on. (laughs) So having gone to Catholic schools my entire life, I found this particularly funny, mostly because none of the priests I ever (laughs) encountered could be described in that way. (laughs) None of them are what I would describe as sex gods. So that drew me in. In actuality, there's really not that much in the story about Father Adrian. It is about the protagonist, Sophia Salvatore, and her highs and lows as a teenage girl, including playing on a sports team, falling in and out of love and like with boys, and having her alcoholic father come back into the picture after finally getting some substance abuse help. She and her best friend Bridget have shared everything since childhood, but something happens in the book that puts that friendship in jeopardy. Will it ever be the same? I can't tell you because that would spoil the story. So most of the time, I don't love YA books because the protagonists are just so annoyingly sure that they know the deal. I just cringe because they have this 
it's like this bravado, right? This like false certainty. They're like, I know this. And I'm going, no, you don't, you idiot. You don't know anything. <laughs> right. So that like mm-hmm. that kind of character uh drives me crazy. Fortunately, the girls of fall had its share of angst, but it wasn't annoying. Um so and that is it what had I had the pre- perfect amount of angst. It had the perfect amount of angst, but not too much angst. And so I appreciated that and it kept me reading. So I gave it four stars. So that awesome. was again The Girls of Fall by Jessica Minyard. Did you give it to your daughter Nora? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. She but you know, I don't know because she loves fantasy. Mm. And this is very much like, you know, it's there's no dragons, there's no, you know, wizards and stuff. Her sweet spot is fantasy. So we'll see. Okay. We'll see. What have you been up to? Well, I read a book that's about a rage-filled, murderous grandma. Aren't they all? (laughs) It's called You Should Have Known by Rebecca Keller. And in this suspense novel, our main character, Franny, she is a retired nurse. Her husband has recently died. And because of some recent falls... Her children want to move her into a senior citizen community that has assisted living. Oh, well, and nothing ticks a grandma off more than that. She's pretty ticked off about it because, you know, it means losing some of her autonomy. But eventually she acquiesces because what can she really do? So Franny at first decides she's, you know, she's not going to participate in any of the activities. She's not going to make any friends because she's throwing a grandma tantrum about this, as yeah. one does. Yeah. But eventually she makes a friend and it happens to be in the book club that's at the senior assisted living. And her name's Catherine. They become fast friends. And Franny meets Catherine's husband. But then she realizes that Catherine's husband is a retired judge. And that same judge that oversaw a case involving her granddaughter who was killed in a drunk driving incident. So this traumatic event has devastated her her daughter's life. I mean, it's really been a trauma to their family. And the drunk driver got off with a slap on the wrist, despite the fact that he had had prior drunk driving incidents and was even in a trial previously. So Franny is understandably enraged. So should she take the law into her own hands? I was just going to say, vigilante grandma! Yeah, and is she going to be the vigilante justice grandma against her friend's husband? Or should she just try to forgive and forget? So this is the main question in this mystery. And if you enjoyed books like Helene Turston's An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good or novels where senior citizen protagonists surprise you, this is a book you may enjoy. Hmm. I appreciated Franny's point of view and getting her thoughts on what it feels like to lose some of your autonomy in that way as you get older. So this is a debut novel by Rebecca Keller. And it was a completely enjoyable read. And I think I, I even gave it to you to give to your mom because mm-hmm. she likes mysteries. And I thought maybe she would she would like it. Yep. So, again, that is called You Should Have Known by Rebecca Keller. Cool. Okay. Well, should we take a break? I think before we, we Before we dive into Because I've, I've got some things to say about the yes, you do. AAPI categorization. I think categorization. you need to take a deep breath and find, before, my zen. find your zen before you start out. Okay. Let's okay. take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute.
We're back and we are talking about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, AAPI. And we're going to give you some book suggestions for this. But Carrie, you and I had a disagreement about what countries constituted AAPI countries. Yes. And you've got strong feelings about this. I do. (laughs) I do. Okay. So I, I actually Googled some stuff. Right? We do things we Googled. Okay, so this is something I Googled. Because we were discussing, like, what books are you going to talk about? What books am I going to talk about? And there was an issue about whether one of the books that I had put on my list qualified as AAPI. So according to the Asian Pacific Institute, now, I don't know whether this is the be-all, end-all institute that we should take our information from, but when I looked at any number of articles that were referencing AAPI Heritage Month, they referred to the Asian Pacific Institute. So they use the term Asian and Pacific Islander to include all people of Asian, Asian American, or Pacific Islander ancestry who trace their origins to the country, states, jurisdictions, and or the diasporic communities of these geographic regions. Okay, so here's the other thing. Asia is huge. It's big. It's huge. Uh, I mean, I think I have a better understanding of that, having taught world history this past year, to think about how big Asia is. But Asia incorporates 48 countries. So that includes India, China. Which I thought, mm-hmm. my impression was that it was India and everything East. But as far as like the Middle East goes, I kind of think of the Middle East I don't know, really is no man's land. It's not quite Asia. It's the Middle East. It's not Europe. It's not Africa. It's kind of in the middle. But you say it's It's Asia. Asia. It's Asia. So Asia includes India. I mean, and these aren't all because, again, there's 48 and nobody wants to listen to me rattle off 48 countries. But just to think about the vast differences, right? So India, China, Japan, Thailand, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Palestine, and the Maldives. Okay, so I want to know, where is the actual line? Because I think of Turkey as being like Eurasia. Well, I mean, technically it might be Eurasia. But if you look up, if you say what qualifies as Asia, Turkey is on that list. Israel is on that list. I would totally put Turkey in Europe. Turkey is Asia. Okay. The point I'm getting at is that even though AAPI is... I think stands for Asian American Pacific Islander. When you actually look at the definition of AAPI, it's much broader than that. It's not just Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. It's any person. Originally, you had on your list a book by... I had Kazuo Ishiguro. Which I said, great, except for that he's British. And so maybe he can't go on this list. Mm -hmm. But you said... Even though it's called Asian American Pacific Islander Month, Mm -hmm. he could because it doesn't really matter. Which honestly, it I mean, it doesn't matter because because again, from this Asian Pacific Institute, which again may not be the be all end all, whatever, but it says includes all people of Asian, Asian American, or Pacific Islander ancestry. So if we look at the technical definition, okay, he counts. But I went ahead and. I think we just need to move past all that. I know, probably. And we need to... You know me, I love to beat a dead horse. Yeah, but we need to get to our actual book selections. So it's funny because when I was looking at it, a lot of my books 
that I have read that I really enjoyed by this cultural group have been more recent. And I've talked about a lot of them on the show, like within the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to just rehash all of those, but I'm going to, I'm going to say them right now. I think you should read Crying in H Mart. I think you should read Another Appalachia. I think you should read um, books by Namrata Patel. We've talked about those books on our show. So these are books that we've not talked about our show, at least not in the last probably two years, two to three years. Some of them we've never talked about. So what is your first on the list? This is one I've never talked about on the show, but it is a book that I really, I sort of loved it. So it's called When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Paul Kalanithi was in his mid-30s, and he was a skilled neurosurgeon, and he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And it actually, that's what killed him when he was writing this book. So it is a memoir of his struggle to switch from someone who helped other people live and felt he sort of had this mastery over life or death see how little control he has. And so, you know, I mean, this is a heavy book. You know, he was 37 when he died. He had a young baby. Nobody should die at 37 from lung cancer. So it's it sounds depressing. And it is sad, but it is also profoundly touching and really motivating. Even in his last days, he worked on a module to teach other doctors how to provide palliative care to patients. So he had this unique viewpoint, having been both the doctor giving bad news and also the patient receiving bad news. And, you know, I feel like books that that people write who have that perspective are really powerful. So if you are interested in um, healthcare, in medicine, or, you know, maybe somebody you know is facing a terminal illness, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi, I would recommend it. All right, what about you? Well, the first one I'm going to talk about is an author where I have read, I believe, all of her books. It's The Buddha in the Attic by Julie Otsuka, and she's a Japanese-American author And The Buddha in the Attic is her second book. And in it, she follows a group of women from about a century ago who were, and I'm putting this in air quotes, picture brides. So they took ships from Japan across the sea to San Francisco, where they married Japanese men who had immigrated to the United States. There just weren't enough women for these Japanese immigrants to marry. And so this book in eight different sections followed these women's lives from the boat to their marriage to children and so forth. Now, Julie Otsuka writes books in very sparse language, and they are unusual in that she writes them in the collective we, like a Greek chorus, if you ever had Mm. to read ancient Greek plays, such as I'm going to read you the first line of this book. On the boat, we were mostly virgins. We had long black hair and wide flat feet, and we were not very tall. That's the first two lines of the book. And the whole book is like that. And all the books she writes Hmm. are done in a collective we. Some people really don't like it, um, but it doesn't bother me. And I find it kind of interesting. It's a technique that gives her books this interesting quality of both. It combines all these experiences in a way that makes it more powerful 
And I don't know that I've ever read other books that are written like that. Mm -hmm. So I find them, you know, unique. I wouldn't want to read all books like that, but I I like it that hers are like that. So this was a National Book Award nominee. Mm. So again, the name of that book is The Buddha in the Attic by Julie Otsuka. What's next for you? The book that I'm going to talk about next, it's called The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie. I hope I'm saying that correctly. We actually heard about this book from past guest Bobby Kahn. Oh, yeah. She talked about this book. And so I read it. It is a graphic novel about a family that leaves Vietnam during the war and heads to the U.S. And it explores the struggle that comes with, number one, your home country being decimated by war. And two, the trauma that comes with moving across the world to adapt to a new life that doesn't always or often feel friendly. The story is about what parents do for their kids and sometimes to their kids, which can seem angry or heartless or cold, but is often not intended that way. But it's perceived that way by the kids. So the reading level on this book is age eight. And the intended audience, you know, if you look at Amazon, it's 13 and up. But personally, I think this is more of an adult graphic novel. Mm. Not that there's nothing like really inappropriate in it, but it, you know, it's talking about the Vietnam War. It's talking about parenting and the child parent relationship. And I feel like that's something that you really understand on a deeper level when you're an adult. And especially if you're a parent. So, you know, I definitely think a teenager, uh, maybe who's studying Vietnam or who's interested in that, could get something from it. But I think that if you're an adult, especially if you're a parent, it'll resonate more with you. And that's um, The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a food writing travel memoir. It's called Buttermilk Graffiti, A Chef's Journey to Discover... America's New Melting Pot Cuisine by Edward Lee. So I actually, I had never heard of it, but several years ago, I won this book through an NPR giveaway. Oh my gosh. It was like, you know, the week that they do where they raise money and like, oh, if you yeah, make a donation, yeah. your, mm-hmm. your name The local goes, NPR. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I won it and they sent it to me and I had did not have high hopes for it because I thought I'm getting this book for free. I don't know right. anything about it. I loved it. So Edward Lee is actually a Louisville chef. I think he was born in Brooklyn. He moved to Louisville and has opened up several restaurants here that are sort of fusion between Southern and some of his Asian roots. He's Korean American and they have been James Beard nominated. He was also a top chef nominee and in buttermilk graffiti, He travels around the country to areas where immigrants have taken their native food and they have melded it with the local cuisine, making something totally new. So in this way, he's not only talking about food, but he's also talking about the immigrant experience and how different groups try to assimilate to the U.S., while still keeping a part of their own culture. So a couple examples would be there was like a chapter on Shapiro's Jewish Deli in Indianapolis, a thoroughly Midwestern city that you wouldn't necessarily think would have a large Jewish population. Another is Middle Eastern food in Dearborn, Michigan during Ramadan, because there is a very large Muslim population in Dearborn, Michigan. So each chapter is about, you know, a different group of 
immigrants from other countries who have sort of settled in an area and sort of made it their own. Each chapter ends with a recipe created by Chef Lee that's inspired by his travels to these places. But for me, those are kind of an afterthought. I mean, that's not really... I don't know if he put him in there because he thought he's a chef, so he should put a recipe in there. It's more about his the story, the story, mm-hmm. right? But I, the hi- community. I highly recommend this one if you're into food, how it rep- represents culture. Uh, and also, you know, like I said, it's a little bit of a travel memoir because he's traveling all over the United States. Anyway, I highly recommend it. I think it was nominated for a James Beard Food Writing Award as well. Again, the name of that is Buttermilk Graffiti, A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine by Edward Lee. And he just opened a new restaurant in Louisville that is a Korean steakhouse. And he's got a couple of restaurants in Washington, D.C. as well. So he's a busy he's guy. He's a busy, busy guy. Yeah. Okay. What's up next? next? One? Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got another graphic novel. I do like graphic you novels. You do like graphic novels. I do like me a graphic novel. Okay. So this one is called American Born Chinese by Jean Luen Yang. This is a book that I actually, I read it and then I think I passed it on to my son. And this was several years ago when he was in middle school and he really enjoyed it. It's a graphic novel for kids ages 12 through 18. Um, but again, you know, adults. I think it won a National Book Award. Uh, I can't it remember. Won it, won, it won a lot of awards. Yeah. It won a lot of awards. And it's really three stories. So it's broken up kind of into three sections. But by the end, all three of those seemingly separate stories intertwine. So it's the story of a boy named Jin Wang, who is the only Chinese American kid at his school. So that's one section of the book. But then it is also the story of the Monkey King, which is a well-known fable character in Chinese culture. And then it is also the story of Chin Ki, a negative Chinese stereotype character who ruins his cousin Danny's life every time he comes to visit. So, you know, you read these sections and you're like, okay, it totally switches gear. I'm dealing with totally new characters. But by the end, again, it's all sort of connected. So the way the author tells this story, along with the illustrations, makes it pretty mesmerizing and memorable. Highly recommend whether you're a kid or an adult. So that is American Born Chinese by Jean Luen Yang. All right. So we're going to move from a graphic novel to horror. I I like it that we're representing lots of genres here. I'm going to talk about The Fervor by Alma Katsu. So Alma Katsu had an American father and a Japanese mother. She spent many years working in the government with intelligence, national security, technology issues, But she's now the author of many books, and she just finished, I think it's her first spy novel series. But what she's been best known for are novels that combine historical fiction with supernatural and horror elements. And so her books are considered horror, but I would call them sort of horror light. I don't find them super scary. I find them more like a little bit unsettling. So if you're sort of a chicken about (laughs) scary things, I think you could probably handle them. I think if you're thinking of it like on a one to five scale of scary. I With with five being the really scary. Yeah, I would call like a two. Okay. Or two and a half. Okay. You know, in the fervor, Katsu does a retelling of the Japanese American internment camps by adding an element of Japanese folklore, a story of the spider demon. So... In the story, there's a character named Miko. She's an American-born Japanese woman and her daughter, and they are sent from their home in Seattle, you know, during World War II, to an internment camp in Idaho while her white husband is fighting in the war. And 
a mysterious disease begins to spread in the camps. And Miko remembers the stories of similar symptoms caused by demons um, that her family would tell back in Japan. So I think this would be actually classified as folk horror. And it was a really uh, unique telling. I believe it was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award and it got very, very good reviews. Uh, so if you are interested in a horror book by some an AAPI representative author, I would recommend this one, The Fervor by Alma Katsu. So you saying that, did you watch the second season of The Terror? You remember that show? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I have to mention it because when you were talking about that, about this like horror story in a Japanese internment camp, if you watched The Terror, and we had talked about that like a long time ago. By Dan Simmons, but it was made into a It was made into a show. And the, Mm -hmm. the first season was about the boat, you know, going through the Northwest Passage. But the second season, and it only had two seasons, the second season was about the internment camps and it is like creepy. Okay. So if that's your jam, if you read the Amakatsu, then maybe check out the second season of the terror. Okay. All right. You ready for my next one? I am. Okay. So this is one I have talked about before. It is a tale for the time being by Ruth Ozeki. This is a mind bendy story about a teenage girl in Japan who writes a diary that makes its way across the ocean to Ruth, a writer in Canada. So the teenager's name is Now, N-A-O. She had to leave California and move back to Japan, which is where her parents are from, but that causes her considerable distress because while she is Japanese, she doesn't know the language. She wasn't born in Japan. This is all very foreign to her. For a variety of reasons, including the move, but that's not the only one, she begins to feel suicidal. So the reader is getting the story partly through Now, NAO, NAO, but also through Now's diary, which is being read by Ruth at a later date. But we and Ruth don't know how much later. Is it months later? Is it weeks later? Is it days later? We have no idea. Is it possible that Now was successful in her suicide attempt? Can Ruth make contact with her? Read the book to find out. This was a really great book. I really enjoyed it. I love the cover. That's what drew me to the book. But then I read it and I was like, wow, this is really weird and I like it. So anyway, that's a tale for the time being, which again, I love the title because you think a tale for the time being, a tale for right now in this moment. But we're all time beings. We all live within time. Anyway, very mind-bendy Ruth Ozeki. Okay, my next one is poetry. And I don't read a lot of poetry, but I had heard about this particular collection and we heard this author read at our local bookstore, Carmichael's Bookstore. And so I picked up a copy. It's called Two Brown Dots by Danny Quintos. And she has Filipino and Japanese ancestry. She grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. So her collection of poetry, Two Brown Dots, is broken up into three sections. The first part explores what it was like to grow up in a very white area as a brown-skinned kid. The second part is her meditation on motherhood 
And the third part she titles Folklore, but it's really her ruminations about her Filipino heritage, her grandmother and her father and the link between that and her life in the United States. So I sometimes struggle with poetry uh, if it's too like... Cerebral? Yeah, if it's too cerebral. But I like this collection because it was very readable and concrete and it had a sequence to it. Like, you know, it starts in her childhood and then it's when she's a mother. And then there's this third part that's an overview of her Filipino ancestry. And it gave me a glimpse into her life as a child of immigrants replanted in a place that was very different. By mentioning this collection, I also get to mention another author. I and can't another wait book. to hear you say her name. I know. So this collection has a foreword to it written by Amy Nezahukumatl. I may not have said that right, but literally her last name has about 15 letters in it. But she is a poet and a writer of Malaysian and Filipino descent who wrote one of my favorite books ever called World of Wonders. So I get to throw in an extra suggestion here. So World of Wonders is a collection of short essays where each is about an animal or plant and how it relates to her life in some way. It's just really lovely. So you can check out both of these. Two Brown Dots by Danny Quintos and World of Wonders by Amy Nezahukumathal. 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 Okay, there you go. All right. Do you have a last one, Carrie? I do. I recently taught this book. I finished teaching it. It is called A Single Shard by Linda Sue Park. It is a novel that is for probably late elementary or middle grade students. And it is set in 12th century Korea. It is the story of Tree Ear, an orphan boy who lives under a bridge with Crane Man. He's a man who sort of took Tree Ear under his wing. He's taken care of him for a decade or so. And Tree Ear begins doing work for a master potter, a grumpy man named Min. And slowly he learns the art of Celadon pottery. And so if you don't know what Celadon pottery is and you're interested in pottery, this would be a great book to read. Because, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you read about it and then you sort of do your little Google search and you want to know, well, what did Celadon pottery look like? And, you know, there's a point in this story where Tree Ear goes on a journey. He is taking pottery to the emperor so that the emperor can determine whether he wants to offer a commission to men. And this journey tests Tree Ear's loyalty, his patience. And upon his return, his heart. Mm-hmm. So I love middle grade books because a lot of times they're quick, they're simple stories, but there's a lot of really good stuff in them. So A Single Shard by Lindell Sue Park. And when I've taught this in the past, I've had a potter actually come and demonstrate on a wheel to the students. And there's a couple videos you can find online where there's a potter, I think he's out in Colorado, and he talks about the ways in which 12th century um, Korean potters made pottery and how it's similar and different from how potters do it now. Oh, so cool. pretty well, fascinating. Because I love pottery. Yeah. Quick That's, read. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. My last one is a memoir. Okay. And it's a little quirky, but I think it's totally worth mentioning. It's called The Milk Lady of Bangalore by Shoba Narayan. And I looked up how to say this name and I couldn't find anything that told me how to say it. So 
I apologize if I mispronounced it, but this is a memoir of the author who lived in the United States for many years, but moves back to India with her family. And when she does, a, a neighbor lady brings a cow up to their apartment to bless it. So this book is like up the steps, up the elevator. Mm-hmm. Wow. Brings okay. the cow up the elevator to her apartment to bless the apartment. So this is a book that's both an account of her friendship with the woman, Sarala, who is called the Milk Lady, and she sells milk across the street from their very modern apartment. This book is also a look at the role that cows play in Indian culture. So Sarala keeps cows, and the author helps her buy more, thus making herself invested in Sarala's life as well as her herd of cows. And this is pretty fascinating because I think in the West we just don't realize how important the simple cow is. In Indian culture, not only the cow, but their milk and dairy products and all the things that they they do with it, they treat them They're better. They're sacred. They're sacred. They treat them better than they treat other humans sometimes. Uh, so this is a really great memoir for animal lovers as well. And so I, it was quirky, but I just really enjoyed it. So again, that's called The Milk Lady of Bangalore by Shoba Narayan. So all of the authors that we've talked about uh, have uh, Asian ancestry in some way. Mm-hmm. But there were two books that when we were discussing this, there were two books that related to AAPI, but they aren't written by people of Asian right. or Pacific Islander ancestry. We wanted to bring them up because we learned from them and felt about they, those cultures. About those cultures. Mm-hmm. So you want to share yours first? Sure. Mine's a, mine's a nonfiction book. It's called Sea People, The Puzzle of Polynesia by Christina Thompson. Um, this is a nonfiction book that explores the question of how all the islands in the Pacific Islands were inhabited by ancient Polynesians. So the author, Christina Thompson, she's not Polynesian herself, but she's married to a Maori man from New Zealand. And this book is sort of like a detective story. And it's asking how the ancient Polynesians could cover such vast expanse of the Pacific Ocean to colonize all these remote islands with fairly primitive boats and no metal tools. But there's a name for this mystery. It's called The Problem of Polynesian Origin. So Thompson talks to linguists, folklorists, archaeologists, biologists, and sailors to try to discover some answers to this problem. This was a really great book to learn more about Polynesia. They were questions that I had never thought about, and it was just really fascinating. So again, the name of that book is Sea People, The Puzzle of Polynesia by Christina Thompson. Now you have a fictional book. I do. We read this. uh, It's called Molokai by Alan Brennert, who is not from Hawaii, as far as I know. I mean, he's not native Asian. Molokai is Hawaii's fifth largest island and the site of a leper colony, which Brenner brings to life in his novel called Molokai. The story is about Rachel, a young girl who is sent by government force to what is essentially a leper colony, removed from her parents, her friends, and everything and everyone she's ever known. This story is an excellent book for book clubs. I remember we had a fantastic discussion about this because it's about all sorts of these like big ideas, including what's the role of government when it comes to public health or what should it be? 
what does having a communicable or really any kind of disease mean for a person's life, whether they can, should be, or are defined by that disease? Had I not read this book, I never would have learned many of the aspects that I learned about Hawaii's history, never would have known about this leper community. Which you can visit today. I mean, there are no more... People with leprosy. People don't live there anymore, but you can visit yeah. the island. But mm-hmm. also, I remember this book also talks about when Hawaii came under U.S. rule and sort of what that was like for people who lived on the islands. And again, I I just wouldn't have ever thought about that. So I, I think most people like the book yeah, and yeah, found it really did. interesting. Yeah. So again, that's Molokai by Alan Brennert. Whew, I'm tired. Yeah, me too. That's a lot of books. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about love and hate. We are back. We've been talking about AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander Month. But now we're going to talk about love and hate. So I have something in my mind that I've been loving. You probably have something in your mind that you are irritated about. (laughs) What is that thing, Carrie? Okay, so I wouldn't say I hate this because I'm actually saving my hate for something further down the line. I'll explain. Okay, so what I anticipate is that I'm assuming I live to be in my 80s. I think I'm really going to hate that. Like you're going to hate being in your 80s. I'm going to hate being in my 80s, mostly because, I mean, my parents are in their 80s and man, like things just hurt all the time and things start really falling apart, right? Like not only is the check engine light on, but smoke is sort of like coming out from under <laughs> the, the wheels hood. are falling the off the bus. The wheels are like really getting wobbly, okay? I'm going to be 50 in September. I went to the doctor this week for a physical and my LDL is... High. I mean, not high enough that I need medication. Now, I am not, as far as I know, eating any differently than I was a year ago. I think I'm pretty much eating the same, but I I am a year older. You know, and so that concerns me a little bit because I'm like, well, is this, you know, is it because I'm just getting older? Is it heredity? What do I do? Do I try to change my diet? Anyway, it sort of adds this, you know, this little bit of stress to my head. And the doctor said, do you have any, you know, do you have any questions or concerns? And I said, middle age sucks. And I said, although that's more of a commentary than a question, you know, So I don't love like the turkey neck. I don't love that my skin is starting to get that crepey look about it. I don't love that for reasons I can't explain, my body is getting wider. (laughs) I don't understand why that's happening. It's getting wider. I don't like it. Uh, You know, all the female stuff is weird and it has been weird for several years. So I would say I don't hate this because I'm anticipating that if I live to be 70, 80, 90 years old, I'm going to hate that. But I don't love this. You know, I've been thinking about this lately. I actually, okay, if I could take my body out of it, like if my brain was was not connected to my body, yeah. this might be my favorite oh, time yeah, yeah, of yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who I am. Yes. I'm I don't give a crap what anybody thinks of me. Right. Yeah. And your 50s, like, you still feel well enough to do most things, mm-hmm. you know, to travel, to do the things you want to do. 
most part, your kids are a little bit older, yeah. so you've got some more freedom. Well, and I, think, but I don't love my body at this age. Yeah. But I'm like, well, how much should I? It's let only going to get me? worse. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Should I let it bother me at all? I don't know. Yeah. So that's the thing. But. Anyway, but I tell you what, I have pretty much decided if I live to be 85 years old, all the illegal sh- stuff that I <laughs> wanted to do that I didn't do, I'm doing at 85. If I decide that at 85 I want to smoke crack, I'm going to smoke crack. I, okay. I don't think I'm going to decide to do that, but <laughs> I mean, you're 85. Yeah. Just live it up, man. Yeah, absolutely. But I probably won't because I'll be like, well, I'm, you know, worried about my health. Ugh. So stupid. <laughs> anyway. Well, well, what do you love? I, I'm, well, I'm I feel like kind of weird about the thing I love now because it sounds so domestic. <laughs> well, here's the thing. This is always, you know, because you asked me, what do you hate? This is the kind you have of these stuff. big ideas. I have that these you big hate, ideas, and That's... I'm going to talk about laundry sheets. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like last time, you talked about baby's breath or something. I so did. I mean, I talked about flowers. Okay, so you know, when I'm on Facebook, all kinds of different ads pop up, mm-hmm. and probably a lot of them are scams. But for a little while, all these ads kept popping up for these earth-friendly detergents, mm-hmm. right? And so they had some really cute ads for them. And so I decided that I was going to try. I'm like, what can I lose? I'm just going to order one little box of this laundry detergent and see what happens. So the difference is that these this laundry detergent, instead of being like a tab or a liquid, I don't like the liquids because they're super messy. Mm-hmm. The tabs are okay. But I mean, they come in like this huge plastic container, you know, these look like dryer sheets. Mm-hmm. They're flat. Their laundry detergent that's been like dehydrated or something. And so it comes in this little box. There's hardly any shipping material when they send it to you. You know, you stick like half a sheet in your laundry thing and the water rehydrates it, the laundry detergent, and it cleans your clothes. And I love it because I don't have all the mess. I don't have all the plastics. It's it's small. It fits easily in my laundry room. And I just really like it. So I've been using it. The brand I use is Earth Breeze. I think there are others, but that's just the one that I have used. You can get on a, a schedule. Sub- subscription. A subscription. So, you know, you can ask for them to send to you once a month or once every two months or, you know, whatever. And so that's really nice. I also have started getting, they have dish detergent tabs that I have been getting. And they come in, they look very similar to the dish detergent tabs that you get at the store. But instead of having like a huge box of them, it's just like a little box. I mean, I don't know. Somehow they're just more compact. There's less waste as far as the packaging goes. But I'm sure that there are other brands that are great. So I'm not necessarily, I mean, I like Earth Breeze. I'm not necessarily promoting them. I'm not necessarily promoting them. That's just the brand I use. There's others out there. But if that's something that you care about, maybe give your laundry detergent a... I have to say. You had a sample or something. Yes. You gave me some, and now I use it Ooh. because I hate it by, I have sensitive skin. You can get the like unscented, hypoallergenic, whatever. If you don't want all the smelly stuff, mm-hmm. you can get that. So I get it. And I agree. I like not having a big old jug that in a month I have to throw away. And Okay. There's my very domestic love thing. There you go. My Earth Breeze detergent sheets. There you go. All right, Carrie, what's the number is your TBR at? Let's see. Hmm. My book. Oh, my. No, wait, that's red. 
That's right. Okay. <laughs> I like, was like, oh, oh my what? God. Oh, wait. Okay. okay. You know what? I stay pretty. I'm at uh, six. 35. Mm-hmm. I've been in the 600s for a while. I don't want to know what you are. What are you? 1,000? 1,100? 1,057. I don't know what it was the last time you asked me. It was, an, it was a 1,000 something. So, okay. Well, what have you added to your TBR? Uh, oh, okay. So let me tell you. I'm waiting to get an audiobook. So I finished the audiobook that I was listening to. And I don't want to start a new audiobook because I know that this other audiobook that I really want to listen to, it's a Victor Laval book. I know it's going to come come up soon. So I have been listening to a bunch of podcasts. And, oh. Yeah. Well, book podcasts. Oh, you okay. know. So I was listening to the two read list. You know, I'm I'm going back and, and listening to episodes that I haven't listened to. And honestly, some episodes I have listened to. I'm just listening to them again. But in one of the episodes, they talked about Wild Seed by oh, Octavia yeah. Butler. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. The other book, and I don't remember where I saw this, but it seemed like something I would enjoy. It's called The Cheating Cell, How Evolution Helps Us Understand and Treat Cancer hmm. by Athena Actipis. Okay. So that sounded like a pretty good, you know, sciencey biology cool. book. What about you? Well, one of the ones that I recently added is a book that a fellow book lover suggested to us to add to our five-star bookshelf. So if you don't follow us on social media, on Instagram, you're losing out big time. Or Facebook, you're losing out a little bit because every week we ask a fellow book lover to tell us about their most recent five-star read. And we take that we post it on social media but then we also put it on our five-star virtual bookshelf that we have on our website eventually we do social media is more up to date i'm on summer break though so hopefully that will be carrie moves a little slower than the social media but people suggest all different kinds of genres and i love the variety but the one that we had last week the name of the book that the the book lover recommended was called A Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Albus. And it's a middle grade book. And the suggester, the recommender said that she loved this book and it reminded her of the war that saved my life. Mm. And I can't remember who wrote that. Kimberly Brubaker Bradley. Okay. Even though I could not remember the name of the author because she has three names and it's hard for me to remember, but I adored that book. Mm -hmm. So I added that to my TBR because if they're anything alike, I'm going to love it. The other one that I added is actually sort of a celebrity memoir. It's called Walking with Sam by Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy was part of the Brat Pack. He was in Pretty in Pink. He was in... St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah, he was in a bunch of those 80s Brat Pack movies. Well, he had a memoir last year about being in the Brat Pack, but he has another one this year called Walking with Sam, A Father, a Son, and 500 Miles Across Spain. So he and his teenage son took a trip where they walked the Camino de Santiago across Spain together. And it's sort of about their time together and what they learned and their father-son relationship. And I'm kind of into walking books right now. I just, and I'll talk about it at a later date, but I just read a, a book about Grandma Gatewood, who was this like 67-year-old woman who hiked the Appalachian Trail by herself in the 1950s. So there's that, but I'm also into the idea of like walking as being therapeutic. So anyway, there's something about this book that kind of appeals to me. And so I'm interested to know about Andrew McCarthy and his son 
walking the, it's called the Camino de Santiago. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it? That's it. Long enough. Um, Our next episode is going to be with our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller of Carmichael's Books. And we're going to talk about great summer reads that are going to be new releases this year. Uh, Things that you should definitely uh, pack on your trip on those vacations and to read by the pool. So we'll see you all next week. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabooklover.pod and on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. We know that there are so many different podcasts. There's so many podcasts. And so we are thankful that you are listening to ours this week. But if you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live, or in archives at forwardradio.org.